Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Okay. Uh, welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. We're pretty consistent about starting at 7 o'clock on Tuesdays. And thank you for being here. Um, we've been going through the Torah just a little at a time. Um, yeah, I always like to I say this periodically just so everybody knows where we're at. The um, ancient... The sages divided the Torah up into 54 portions, and they assigned a portion per week, and they start them at a specific time of the year, namely right after Sukkot. And if you go through a portion a week, by the time you come back to Sukkot, then you've done the whole Torah. And they do that. They've been doing that for over 2,000 years now, and we've done that. But one of the things that does for you is if you have some things you'd like to talk about, sometimes you don't get the chance to talk about them because you need to move ahead so that you can finish the material and keep up with the cycle. So what we decided when we started was we were going to go through the Torah, uh, but that we were going to do an hour and a half on Tuesday nights. And at the end of an hour and a half, wherever we are, there we'll stop, and we'll pick up there next week. And so that's what we've been doing. John, this, this by the way, you can all the time interrupt. Yes. So if you want to know where we're at, all right, make sure we to update on the website where we're at. Excellent, excellent point. So even though we're not we're not following strictly the one year or three years Torah cycle, it's wherever we end up. It says it'll be there. Yep, good point. Uh, LivingMessiah.com has our schedule, and as well as a bunch of other useful, bunch of other, plenty of other useful information. How about that? <clears throat> so anyway, with that aside, we're actually we just began. Exodus chapter 18 last week. Um, we've gotten the Israelites out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea uh, at that uh, area on the map. Let's see, I can do this now because I have the ability to do this. Oop. There we go. We crossed the Red Sea right up there kind of toward the north. And most people agree that uh, Mount Sinai is over here in northwestern Saudi Arabia, the northwestern Arabian Peninsula, not in the Sinai Peninsula here, which is the traditional place for it. Um, but uh, I was telling you last week, I even uh, got a, uh, a newspaper article last week that talked about how the uh, Saudis were getting ready to develop around Jebel El Laws, and make it into a big resort area. So, and yet, and they said in this article that it was uh, where Bible scholars believe Mount Sinai was located. So there's more than just us out out on the fringe people that think that it was there. Anyway, that's beside the point. So they they managed to get all the way across the Red Sea, and we just finished the last thing was at Rephidim. We, they were introduced, the Israelites were introduced to manna, and what the, we talked about the 
the, uh, the, it said that manna was a teaching tool. God said that manna was to teach them that uh, not live by bread alone, but uh, every word that comes from the mouth of God. But anyway, we're in chapter 18 now. And last week we started <clears throat> and uh, talked about the, I always lose my glasses. We talked about the uh, Moses and the Israelites, all one and a half, two million of them, however many they were, were reunited with Moses' father-in-law and his wife and their, his two sons. And we went through a little of that, so I thought we'll kind of review that and just go on and see how far we get. So let me read some. I'll, I'll read, and then we'll typically pass the microphone around and let other people read, but I want to start. So I'm going to read uh, starting in Exodus chapter 18. So now Jethro, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses, heard everything, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses had said, I have become an alien in a foreign land, and the other was named Eleazar. For he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came, sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships that they had met along the way and how Yahweh had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that Yahweh had done for Israel to, in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to Yahweh who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses and Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. I want to stop there. And uh, we talked about a couple of these things last time. We talked about the incident on the way to uh, Israel, or Egypt, I'm sorry, on the way to Egypt, where there was this altercation between Moses and his wife, and it, we uh, kind of deduced that that was probably the time at which Moses sent his wife and their two sons back to her father and said, you, you wait here, I got stuff to do in Egypt anyway, you know. See you when we get back. And so that, that fits with this. Um, one of the things that, that I had said last week, and I think I, I've said this two or three times, and I never know whether it's really uh, taken all that well, but these people lived in a, uh, what you call a pantheistic environment. They had many gods. They had local gods. They had gods of different communities. And they had gods of different uh, regions, and they had lots of different gods. And certainly we talked about how Jethro, being um, 
descended, if you will, from Midian, who was a descendant of Abraham, had to know about Abraham's God. But it also was relatively apparent from things that we read that he wasn't, he didn't recognize Abraham's God, didn't necessarily recognize Abraham's God as the one true God. And so I think the thing that was really noteworthy for me anyway was in verse 11 where he says, Jethro says, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. So I just wondered if that rings true with you, or do you think there's, do you think he always knew that uh, Abraham's God, God was the real, only real God, or what? Any, any thoughts about that? Margaret's got a thought. Uh, you can do it if you want. I don't care. I think even in our society here, we, we elevate those who die to godliness. Because mm -hmm. they say, oh, yeah, it was, you know, my father who passed away last year yeah. was doing this for me. Um, and so it's not unlike what we have now. Okay. Other than they used to have, other than, you know, you had the statutes and we still have that mm -hmm. in many in many societies, so um, nothing different. Not not that different. Than nothing today. different than what we have now. Okay. <laughs> and not only that, but a lot of times we pray, or when they pray, they pray, and and maybe a prayer is answered or comes true, but yet it's you know it's not really a, a God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Is it possible that? Over the hundred years that Egypt or Israel was in Egypt, then everybody, well, that's the God Israel. They're what are they doing in yeah, prison? Yeah. You know, what have you what have you done for them lately over the last two hundred years, kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, I think there was one of the exchanges that Moses had with Pharaoh, where he essentially said that says, "Well, I don't know what God do you worship, but he's clearly not a very good God if he's right. got your people over there being slaves." You know? I want to comment on that later, by yeah. the way. Okay. Any other, any other thoughts? I just wanted to kind of hit that one more point, and we can move on if you want to. Um, oh, Joe, I'm sorry. I didn't see your hand. You're right here in front. I wasn't looking. The uh, way uh, Stone uh, version of the Torah states that, um, let's see here. Uh, now, I know that uh, Hamshan is greater than, uh, than all the other gods. It's like almost he heard this before, you know, and... Uh, uh, kind of a maybe a second thought, and then it was a uh, a affirmation that yeah. that uh, he came to say that. Yeah, 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 I kind of I agree. I think that um, his f grandfather, whoever it was Abraham, probably told him that, you know. Uh, but it says now I know. So I, I had heard that before. What I'm going to paraphrase what you said. He basically was saying I'd heard that before, but now I know it's true. And it was based on the things that Moses had told him that God had done, which are pretty significant things, you know, causing the Red Sea to divide and destroying the Egyptian army and things like that. Okay, we can move along. Um, would somebody like to read from... Can I say yes, one more Yes, yeah, I, I thought you... I'm sorry. Yes, you certainly can. Well, 
Think about the Jews. Okay. In the last 2,000 years, you know, after, after they were the Bar Kokhba revolution, mm-hmm. when things went downhill for them very fast, yep. and for a very long time, yep. you know, Christianity kind of had this narrative, well, our God's kind of a little different than that God over there. That's for the Jewish God. Yep. And then all of a sudden, Israel is like, they're this amazing power. There's a little sliver of land and a sea of red sea of, of, of Muslims yep. around them that want to kill them. And yet there they are and yep. doing quite well, thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a real significant point because, you know, the, there's a, I guess it's a, you know, a, call it apocryphal story about King Louis XIV asked one of his wise guys, <laughs> Voltaire, he says, you know, you're, you're a mathematician. I need you to go off and prove that God exists. And so Voltaire says, well, that's easy. He says, the Jews. He says, and this was, you know, then the, what was it, about 1700s or so, 1600s, 1700s, the Jews. What he meant was, is the Jews exist. There's no reason for them to exist. It's been, at that point, 1,500 years that they've been chased around every country in Europe and tried to be exterminated, but yet they still exist. So... Even more so today, since, well, the, as you point out, there's an actual country. Well, they, they, they don't just exist. They are, they're an oppressive people. I mean, it's impressive yeah. what they've done. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, like, causes you to, to kind of take it back and look, think yeah. about, because I think there's a lot of people, it, it, this is what, it's my understanding, what kind of made evangelicals famous, because they're saying, no, you got to wait. Israel's going to, you know, the land is going to be restored and all that stuff. So yeah. they kind of... And then all of a sudden happened after World War II. Yeah. You, another thing, you talk about what they've contributed. Have you ever seen, and this, I, you know, there's no reason for this to be faked. You can go check this. The, uh, the percentage of Jews in the world is in the neighborhood of, I don't know, a couple of percent. You know, it's not very many. If you took the whole world population and the number of Jews and you did the ratio, it's like two or three, maybe five percent. But then you take the uh, winners of the Nobel Prize over all of the history they've ever given it, and the Jews are represented like 30, 40, maybe over 50%. So what does that tell you? I mean, anyway. So there's a lot of reasons to go off and think about this, aside from the fact that it says it's true here. <laughs> so let's go on. Would somebody like to... Uh, Read from verse 13 in chapter 18 to the end of the chapter. Verse 13 to the end. Can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> and it came to be on the next day that Moshe sat to rightly rule the people And the people stood before Moshe from morning until evening. And when the father-in-law of Moshe saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit by yourself and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moshe said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to seek Elohim. When they have a matter, they come to me, and I rightly rule between one and another, and make known the laws of Elohim and his Torah. And his father-in-law and the father-in-law of Moshe said to him, What you are doing is not good. 
Both you and these people with you shall certainly wear yourselves out, for the matter is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it by yourself. Now listen to my voice. Let me counsel you, and Elohim be with you. Stand before Elohim for the people, and you shall bring the matters to Elohim. And you shall enlighten them concerning the laws and the Torah, and show them the way in which they should walk in the work which they do. But you yourself seek out from all the people able men who fear Elohim, men of truth, hating unfair gain, and place these over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they shall rightly rule the people at all times. And it shall be that they bring every great matter to you, but they themselves rightly rule every small matter. So make it lighter for yourself, for they shall be, uh, for they shall bear with you. If you do this word, and Elohim shall command you, uh, then you shall be able to stand, and all this people also go to their place in peace. And Moshe listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moshe chose able men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And they rightly ruled the people at all times, the hard matters they brought to Moshe, but they rightly ruled every small matter themselves. And Moshe sent his father-in-law, and he went away to his own land. Okay, um, who can paraphrase this in about two, three sentences, what we just read? Can anybody paraphrase it? Okay, Joe, why don't you... Just a second. Okay, we'll get you in a minute, I guess. Um, okay. Two or three sentences. Okay. Uh, one, Moses was overworked. Mm -hmm. He needed help. Mm -hmm. uh, two, he... Uh, so he divided the labor of rulership. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, sent, and essentially, uh, he was the final authority on, mm -hmm. so he set up a hierarchy of mm -hmm. command. Okay, that, that's, pretty, that's exactly what I would have said. I said, um, his father-in-law suggested that he do this. I mean, what you had before, you had what in management's called a, uh, uh, you know, a flat organization chart where everybody's at the same level except one guy, and that's Moses. And so everybody had to sit there and come and talk to Moses to get their their matters decided. And so if you had to describe what Jethro's uh, advice was in one word, what would that one word be? Delegate. <laughs> Delegate. You know, as you say, create a hierarchy and get people to do the simple things in multiples. And, in, that, uh, and you know, we have a court system today that's much like that. Go ahead. To me, it was a fact that... Uh, and the father-in-law was giving Moses a little bit of fatherly uh, advice. Absolutely. You know, he uh, maybe he could see something in Moses uh, that he would need help. So I think of us uh, uh, saying, uh, son, uh, come here, I want to give you some advice yeah. on how to do all this. Yeah, yeah. And from, from Jethro's point of view, well, you know, I mean, he basically says, what are you doing? You can't do this. This will kill you. He says, you're going to go to bed every night dead, and all the people are going to be mad because they have to wait in line just to talk to you. Yeah. 
I'm more cynical. It's a it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> it's not hierarchy. It's a pyramid scheme. The uh, military is kind of broken down in this. Absolutely, manner. absolutely. I don't think we should overlook the fact in 19 where he says at the very beginning, if you ask God and He agrees with you to do this, then you shall teach the ones that you pick, uh, the ordinances and the laws. Don't just pick somebody that oh, yeah. you like or somebody that Good point. is showing a leadership. Good seek, point. God, seek God before you even pick anybody because maybe this is just my idea mm -hmm. and not his. Well, yep, there's two things there. The, the first thing is, is I, I think it's very noteworthy that Jethro said, if you go to God and God approves, this is what I think you should do. I mean, I think from Jethro's point of view, it was pretty obvious, but I, I think that was the right way to do it, for sure. Uh, but the other thing is, like you say, I mean, even here, uh, he described the kind of people he should pick. Let's see. 21, he says, uh, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men, who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials. Now, do you, is anyone in here aware of other places that this kind of advice has been given? Joe? Uh-huh, in the Bible. Back in the New Testament where uh, that was the order God gave some uh, to be evangelists and teachers and pastors and so on and so forth. That's close, but the, the real place, there's two places. First Timothy and in Titus. Okay, and, and yeah, when, it, Paul, it, when Paul told uh, Timothy to... Uh, these are the kind of people you should pick as uh, elders and deacons, if you will. These are the kind of people. You want to look at one? Okay. Um, First Timothy chapter 3. You have and uh, Stern's uh, Aramaic New Testament, there's a uh, project where a lot of uh, your uh, so-called... Uh, church leaders, they pick somebody to do all these things. And if you notice here, it was God doing the picking, not man. I don't know about that. It says in verse 21, he says, this is Jethro talking to Moses. And he says, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them. So, I, I do not doubt that Moses went to God and said, help me find suitable men. But it's not God that appointed him, it's Moses. I mean, just a quibble. <laughs> if, I'm sure that if one of them came up and, and, and God told Moses, no, not him, not him, he would have said, okay, fine. Did anyone go look at that 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first 13 verses. Go ahead. Yay. Trustworthy is the word. If a man longs for position of an overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer then should be blameless. The husband of one wife, sober, sensible, orderly, kind of strangers, able to teach, not given to wine, no brawler, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in subjection with all reverence.
For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how shall he look after the assembly of Elohim? Not a new convert, lest he become puffed up with pride and fall into the judgment of the devil. And he should even have a good witness from those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, attendants are to be reverent. Okay, not that's good enough if that's right. I mean, um, the point is, is this was Paul telling Timothy how Timothy should select people to be, the, the term they use is overseers, which is often translated as elders. So this is how elders are to be picked. And it's, it, it's clear where, where Paul got the advice, isn't it? He's basically just saying the same thing that Jethro said to Moses. You know, maybe in more words. There's another one there in Titus, in the first chapter of Titus, but it's essentially the same thing. So I like it whenever you find something in the New Testament that's exactly what was in the Old, especially since the Old came first. So what, what things is it that Moses is supposed to do once he's got this big hierarchical structure built up with all these good people in it? Yep. Let's see if... Um, uh, that was one of two things. Where did I, let me see if I can find them. I get myself lost here pretty easy. Um, yep, let's see. Okay, start 19. Listen now to me. This is Jethro talking. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. So that's one of the things Moses is to do. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. So uh, Moses is still uh, the designated go-between in terms of God and the people. But he's saying rather than have each, well, it's basically rather than have each person come and learn uh, from you personally, delegate, you know, spread it out. John. You, you can't be expected to have the law applied to you if they don't teach you why it is. Here, here. That's, so that's, they yeah. go together. They go together. Some people just think, oh, it's about teaching. Well, no, it's about the laws too. You know? Yes, they go very together. much. Well, and you know, when you think about it, what we're talking about here is how these people are going to get along. Because before, the Egyptians did this for them, right? The Egyptians had their rules. And I'm sure, the Egypt, number one, the Egyptian rules weren't the same as God's. And number two, the Egyptians were probably a little more, oh, let me just use the word inflexible sometimes in, in the way they would, would uh, demand certain responses from people. Marvin. Question for you. Okay. I was in here for a few minutes. Did you talk about the timing of this, i.e. they haven't had the law given to them yet? Nope. Uh, that's very important. That's, that's true. They haven't had the law given to them yet. But yet they're coming to Moses asking all these questions. And to me, it's a rather natural thing because, like I say, before they knew what to do in most situations because their life was completely dictated by the Egyptians. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering that same thing because this is just before uh, the actual Ten Commandments are giving. But I believe they had a... Uh, uh, because my Bible, when I was reading, mentions that Jethro himself referred to the Torah, mm -hmm. or the Torah, as, he, as it says here. But So there already was some form yep. of right rulings and precepts and yep. things like that. We, we, we've talked about that before. I mean, you know, even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
had some notion of what God required, right? They may not have had, they certainly didn't have the written, the written Torah, but God had told all of those guys, you know, more or less. He, well, it's funny because the Word is extremely important. You know, the Ten Commandments are key. We'll talk a lot about those in a little while. But God was able to impart an awful lot of what He required of people when He was close to them before they actually had the written Torah. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, were these the same group of uh, people that later on gave Moses such a hard time, <laughs> sorn of yeah. uh, flesh, you know, mumbling and complaining? Very same and, group, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep, very same group. Anything else? We could probably to... assume uh, Joshua and Caleb were in that group at least. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anybody else have anything, John? I've mentioned this before in the past when we've gone through this, but it's it's interesting, the very last verse, when it's time to give, you know, he says this is the greatest God and there's no one above him and all this, and then what does it say in the last verse? See ya. He, he leaves, I'm out of here. Yeah, that got me. I've, I've made a note of that. I wonder why he, uh, why he didn't offer to go with him. However, there is at least one answer. If you were to go read Numbers chapter 10, verses 29 through 32, you would find that there was some part of Jethro's family that probably stayed with uh, Moses. But clearly Jethro wasn't. So I don't know. I can think of a lot of reasons. I mean, to be uh, probably way too spiritual about the whole thing, maybe God wasn't leading him to, to go along with Moses. Maybe, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't genealogically... Um, a part of Israel. Well, that's not true. Yeah, because he wasn't related to Jacob. So I, I don't know. In any case, he didn't. He, he went back to his people. Wasn't he the priest of Midian? He'd have to mm -hmm. go back and take care of his responsibilities. Yeah, he did. Very good. He had responsibilities at home. I mean, you know, it could have been something just as carnal as says, my gosh, I got, you know, 14,000 sheep home. I can't just walk off and leave them. You know, who knows? But in any case, I was kind of surprised by that statement too. Verse 27, then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. But this is very interesting. The whole idea about delegating and the whole idea about a hierarchy is something that, uh, uh, that's not as diabolical as it sometimes seems. Yes, did you have a question? Wait, let, let us get you the microphone because that way people can hear online. So online... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, they already had the covenants, though, prior covenants. So they that's part they of had what? the Abrahamic covenant, mm -hmm. yes. Noah and, yep. and Well, yeah. Um, God had made his promise to Abraham and then re renewed it to Isaac and renewed it to Jacob. So, yeah, they had that. They, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, moving on to chapter 19. I bet I'll. Alfonso wants to read some of chapter 19. Let me see how far I can get you to read. Why don't you read down through verse 15? Okay. Shemoth chapter 19. In the third month after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Mitzrayim, on this day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. 
For they departed from Rephidim and had come to wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Yisrael camped there before the mountain. And Moshe went up to Elohim, and Yahuwah called him to the, from the mountain, saying, This is what you are to say to the house of Yaakov, and declare to the children of Yisrael. You have seen what I did to the Mitzrites, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And now, if you diligently obey my voice and shall guard my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession above all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a reign of Kohanim and a Kodesh nation. Those are the words which you are to speak to the children of Israel. And Moshe came and called for the elders of the people and put before them all these words which Yahweh commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Yahweh has spoken we shall do. So Moshe brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moshe, See, I am coming to you in the thick cloud, so that the people hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. And Moshe reported the words of the people to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Go to the people and kadosh them today and tomorrow, and they shall wash their garments, and shall be prepared for the third day. For on the third day Yahweh shall come down upon Mount Sinai before the eyes of all the people, and you shall make a border for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall certainly be put to death. Not a hand is to touch it, but he shall certainly be stoned or shot with an arrow. Where the man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, let them go up to the mountain. And Moshe came down from the mountain to the people and kadoshed the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be prepared. By the third day, do not come near a wife. Okay, um, let's talk about this for a minute. This is this. I this. It's very dramatic here. Um, so, how long had they been out of Egypt? Three months. Three months. So that would put them. You remember, they came out of Egypt in the spring, essentially the fifteenth of the the fifteenth. 15th day of the first new moon after the spring equinox. <laughs> so it's been three months later. Um, can you kind of remember a, a feast day? Was it three or two? Three months. It says here. Three months. The third month. Can you remember a feast that occurs at about this time? Shavuot. And Shavuot is typically recognized as the time or the... the um, the time that uh, God gave the law to the Israelites. So there's three feasts. I'm sorry, just one more time. I always have to do this. Just let me do it. There are seven feasts, three of them in the spring. One of them kind of sits by itself and three of them in the fall. The three in the spring are Pesach or Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasts a week, and this thing called First Fruits, which is some first fruits. It's uh, the first, it's the day after the Shab. The day after the Shabbos, the Shabbat, that occurs during the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that's three of them right together. Then you count off seven sevens. Shavuot means sevens. So seven sevens is 49 days, and the day after that is Shavuot. So that one sits by itself. And then you go to the month of Tishri, which is the seventh month of the year. And the first of Tishri is Feast of Trumpets. 
10th of Tishri is Yom Teruah, I'm sorry, Yom Kippur, and the 15th of Tishri is Sukkot, last week, eight days. So anyway, it's important. You should remember those. We, we'll work on them, three, one, and three. So this is corresponding to about that, that one in the middle, Shavuot. Um, that's why I wanted the map, so you could see that this, the, who knows whether this is right. I mean, my gosh, number one, nobody can travel around Saudi Arabia very freely these days anyway. And number two, I'm sure there's nothing left Rephidim left. But according to this map, there's Rephidim right there near uh, Mount Jebel El-Laws or Mount Sinai. And this one down here, it says Al-Bad is Jethro's home. So again, I don't know how anybody knows any of that, but that all fits geographically with... Uh, what we've been reading about. And it's, you know, in light of any, um, any evidence to the contrary, that's probably right. It's as right as anything I've ever seen. So, so um, Moses, they go to the foot of the mountain. You, you, do you remember why this mountain is the mountain? Okay, I'll let you go first, Joe. Okay, I look at that mountain as God's pulpit. Okay. And uh, the people uh, coming close is uh, possible interruptions or uh, trying to mess up the meeting. But I, I look at uh, God's up on a mountain like he's mm -hmm. on the, his pulpit. Okay. Telling Moses what to say to the people. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Moses was up on the pulpit uh, beside God. God was conveying to him. Mm -hmm. what he needs to say to the people. Yep. And becoming close to the, I imagine, too, there's a big fence around the well, mountain uh, off limits. There's a, it, right there it be told, executed. God told Moses to make such a boundary. Okay. But let's go on. You're a little bit ahead. Not much. Just a little bit. That's a good sign. Um, uh, let's see. What was your question? About. I'm trying to remember where I was before <laughs> Joe helped me. Um, no, no. I, I, oh, I know. There at Mount Sinai, do you remember where, let's see, do you remember where the burning bush was? It was there, right. God told Moses the first time that God met him, he told him, um, you're going to bring the people of Israel back to this mountain. Right here. So that's where that was. That's the, that, that was the important thing I wanted to point out. Um, and then he tells, God tells Moses, come up, I have a, I have a word I'd like to tell you. <laughs> right? And so we can read exactly what he told, what God told Moses, starting in the middle of verse 3. He says, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, to the Israelites, and what you are to people, the people, tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests." and a holy nation, a set-apart nation, a sanctified nation, as uh, Alfonso likes to say, a Kodesh nation. And in quote, these are the words I want you to go tell the Israelites. So that's the quote that God said, go tell the Israelites this. All right, John. 
So this is beyond the Torah, if you will. This is the Torah as it applies to this nation of priests and kings. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I, I know I'm not saying that like you're trying to argue a Noahite law or anything, but I'm just saying that obviously you have ways of honoring people's proper right to property. So you would think they would. I don't know how you could have a society without that. Mm -hmm. So that's this is a, a covenant. This is talking. This is um, bringing out the point that it's a covenant with Israel. Yes. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I was, I was going to say, what's another very common kind of covenant that we do all the time these days? We, society. Marriage. It's a marriage covenant. And this is very much a marriage covenant. And God is saying, they, basically he's saying, you know, I'd like to marry Israel. Uh, you have to promise to uh, cherish and obey me and do what I tell you. Uh, but if you do that, then I'll make, a, I'll make you a cherished possession, right? Um, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests. You'll be my special, special, my first wife, <laughs> whatever. The holy Your nation. Isha wife. Ish, yeah, exactly. Ish I can't ever remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Yes. So it's, it's Seagal, is that it? Peculiar in the King James? Yes, yes. Seagal. I thought Pete was the only one that brought that up. <laughs> Second Pete. Second Pete. No, no. As a matter of fact, as uh, I was going to go, I was going to go there. I don't know if it's that, the one you had in mind, but First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Somebody want to read First Peter chapter two, verse nine? <laughs> Nobody, no pressure. <laughs> okay, John's got it. Before second Pete. Yes. One Pete seven two seven. Uh, two no, nine. Two nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a kadosh nation, a peculiar people, that you shall. Chew forth the praises of him who hath caused you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Okay. Now, like I say, uh, to me it's real comforting when you can see the exact same thing said in the, the New Testament that was said in the Old. But so could is. we say that there are laws that don't apply to the priests that apply to everybody else? Like maybe they're sovereigns or something? Nah. Yeah, it says, yeah, it says that they're they're... What's kadosh? Set apart. Set apart. They're set apart. They're special. They're peculiar. They're bound the, to be different. The pattern was this was this also found in Egypt, where they were, they were in a different part of the land, and they yep. and they didn't have the land wasn't taken away from them during the during the famine. Yep, yep. There's a lot of things. God, God is well. Even now, it's clear that they're God's people. They're His chosen people. So. With this whole nations of kings and priests, could that uh, signify that a single individual can also be a king, sovereign, and priest? Like, um, let's say the father of the household mm -hmm. can be the king of the household, but also the uh, priests of the household mm -hmm. uh, to pray petitions to God for protection of... For his family. Yeah, for his family. 
I think, I think it very much means that. That's my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, this is what God tells Moses to go tell the people. Right? Okay, go down and tell them this. So in uh, chapter, or in verse 7, So Moses went back and summoned all the elders of the people and set before them all the words that Yahweh had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything that Yahweh has said. So in other words, do you promise to uh, love, cherish, and obey in sickness and in health, blah, 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 blah. And the people said, we do. Right? They said, we do. <laughs> you got the Hawaiian version, do you? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, John. So do we have all the makings of the elements of a contract? We're we getting uh, real close, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you want to go over them, or do you agree? Well, we've got the two parties. Mm -hmm. We've got terms and conditions, which mm -hmm. will be coming up. Yep. We've got an exchange of property, quid pro quo. They get the the inheritance they get is the land. Uh huh. And there's an agreement between the parties, a meeting of the minds. They yep. said, "I will do." Yep. 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 So let's go on a little farther here. So in verse nine, Yahweh said so. At the end of verse 8, Moses brought their answer back to Yahweh. So he's trucking back up the mountain again. And Yahweh says to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. So then Moses told Yahweh what the people had said. And Yahweh said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. You used the word, what was the word you used, Alfonso? No, it was not. It was different than that. It was, it was uh, verse 10. Kadosh them. Okay. All of these words mean the same thing, and it's kind of important that whenever you hear one, you, you run the others through your mind at the same time. So sanctify, make holy, set apart, kadosh, that's Hebrew. But, you know, they're all the same thing. Set apart, to me, is the key, right? It is also contains within it this idea of cleanliness, which we'll get to in just a second. So it says, uh, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes, be clean, you know, and be ready by the third day because on the third day Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits on the for the people around the mountain and tell them. This is your fence, Joe. Be careful. You do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when a ram's horn sounds a long blast may he go up on the mountain. In other words, make a border. Say, this is the mountain, this isn't. You can come up to that border, but don't, get on, don't touch that mountain. Because obviously you touch the mountain and, you know, you're a crispy critter. What, um, what do you think about that? Why, why do you suppose God did that? Why the third day? Well, you're not supposed to answer a question with a question. Okay, why the third day? I don't know. Maybe it takes two days for consecration to really last or really work. Well, to me it means revelation. Mm -hmm. Re revelation it reveals whether or not they're going to at least follow this part of the... The ceremony? The ceremony. Okay, that's fair. Three days is not like a big ask. Right? No, but in law, that's an important. After three days, 
you know, it's, it's like established. It's like three, truth is established. Oh, three you know what it's like? Passed. It's like whenever you sign on the dotted line to buy the car. The lemon. You, you have the, three days to, to, to say, no, 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 I didn't mean it. Right. That's yeah. actually okay. codified in the regulations. Yeah. Okay. That's what that's like. But then, he, you know, God wants to come down and, and meet his bride. That's what he says. Right? Well, you got to, um, with this, also understand the nature of God in places like Ezekiel, and he is a being of fire, of, of power, and, well, holiness as well. Holiness, yeah. Yeah, so in order to be in the presence of holiness, you have to be holy yourself, so that two of you between the people of God and God himself are compatible with one another. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, I kind of like to uh, use uh, the whole uh, nuclear reactor uh, analogy mm-hmm. where you have to prepare yourself in order to enter into the presence of that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of that area. Yep. I think that's a, that's a fine analogy, and I think that's really what's getting here. It's not, I often, you know, I'm not, I don't know this, obviously, but this is the way it kind of feels to me. God's nature is such that he can't coexist with sin. He can't coexist with uncleanness. And so it's not that he necessarily wants to be this way, but if you come to him in an unclean state, you're going to get, you know, you're, you're going to get annihilated. It's not necessarily, it's kind of like, uh, oh, I'm sorry you touched me, is really kind of what he's saying. Now, this is just me making this up, so you can take it with a grain of salt. But it's basically that, uh, like I say, now God can uh, put himself in incarnations that don't have any trouble dealing with, uh, you know, with uncleanness, but God himself can't, I mean, it's not, that, it's not that he wants to do it, it's just that it can't exist around him. Well, That's my opinion. If you come to him unclean, he'll make you clean. The problem is you'll be dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. The, the process we of making clean. you clean is permanent. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something to that. So anyway, he makes a very big deal of this, about this boundary. You know, tell everybody, do not even touch my mountain. I was thinking later on when uh, God... Uh, did give the law to Moses that uh, Moses wanted to see his face. Yep. And uh, God said that uh, nobody can see my face and live. Yep, yep. So even though he could not see the face of God, God let he saw the shadow of God, yeah. and that what caused him to that, you yeah. know. It's a, yeah. Um, but I don't understand, even though a while ago I said the mountain, the barrier around the mountain, I don't under, uh, quite understand why God did not, or uh, why God allowed that. Uh, even an animal might uh, see a little bit of grass on the other side and take a bite that and he zap. I, I don't know either. So I don't but, know. Yeah, but that's okay. We can ask it when we get there. But there are tons of places in the Bible of examples of guys that didn't do this, you know, of uh, places, I can, let's say tons, I can think of three of them right off the top of my head, where God said, you know, this is, this is holy, don't touch this, and somebody touches it, psst, you know, or they do something that they know they're not supposed to do because of God's 
holy nature, and they get zapped. Yeah. Well, uh, to answer uh, Joe's, Joe's question, question mm -hmm. um, even the animal him itself is um, corrupted by the corruption during, at the fall. So even that animal who is not, uh, mm -hmm. uh, for any intents and purposes, blameless, spotless, yeah. or un that could be. That, that's um, it's, fine. It's like so, um, like anything of the corrupted earth, so to speak, cannot mm -hmm. be in the presence of God. But I, I won't argue with you. You know, let's go on because we'll, some of these things are a little bit too deep for us. But um, I'm going to go from 14 here. Okay. And Moses, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. He, as you would say, Alfonso, he kadoshed them. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Uh, okay, just a second. Uh, according to the Tanakh, Uzzah, meaning strength, was an Israelite whose death is associated with touching the Ark of the Covenant. Yep. Yep, that was just one of the three or four examples that I thought of. The other one is in the Torah, it's in Leviticus, when uh, sons of Aaron. Yeah, the sons of Aaron decided to, you know, they, they were getting pretty excited about how much fun it was having this uh, uh, tabernacle with this ark in there and how cool it was, and they decided to go in there and kind of create their own little uh, offering, and God was not impressed. Mm -hmm. and, and another thing on this, touching that, when uh, Moses saw the burning bush, and God take told him to take shoes. off his shoe for yeah. your own yeah. holy ground. Yeah, this whole thing about uh, cleanliness and uh, and being set apart is something I surely don't fully understand. But that's part of the job of the priests is to teach people the difference between the clean and the unclean, and the holy and the profane. So we got to get better at that. It's not to say, you know, I don't know what that means, but we need to understand, if nothing else, that it's extremely important to God. So it ought to be important to us. Let me go on. It says, so after, verse 14, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. That's part of being clean. And he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Uh, mine says, abstain from sexual relations. In other words, uh, be celibate for three days. Now the, the, the absolute physical need for this is the fact that God considers, uh, you know, bodily fluids um, unclean. And so you couldn't have sex with your spouse and not uh, be exchanging bodily fluids some way or another, and that's, that's unclean. So that's why they had to do this in order to stay clean. Okay, we're just in the middle of this. Let's go some more here. I want to read just this next section. Well, maybe I'll do it. Do you mind if I do it? Starting in verse 16. Good, I didn't hear an overwhelming no, so I'll do it. Verse 16, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because Yahweh descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like a smoke from the furnace. 
The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Now, there is nothing that's not dramatic about that paragraph. I mean, that's, the people are, you know, God says, okay, it's time. And the big pillar of fire is down there, fire and smoke, and the ground shaking and everything. He says, come on, come on, we're going to go talk to God. I mean, this is the marriage ceremony coming here, right? And so they're going to go up and talk to God. They get, they get right near this boundary, and, you know, they know not to go any farther. How many of them you think wanted to go any farther? None of them, you know. Um, so, uh, I want to I wanna do something funny or different here. It says, Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Now, I want to stop at that verse and move over to verse 18 of chapter 20. Now, between that verse and this verse 18 of chapter 20 is... Um, the Ten Commandments. So we'll come back. Obviously, we need to talk about that. But I, because I think the action is picked up over here. Okay? So I think, you know, he went up, and what happens in verse 20 and then down through the next chapter is what God said to Moses. Okay? But verse 18 of chapter 20 is what the, what the people heard. So let me read just a little bit more, then, then we'll come back. So just moving right along, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And then going over to chapter 20, verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. And they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak with us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So I think that's what the action is. I mean, this is, like I say, this has got to be a, a red-letter day in the life of every one of those Israelites. John. So this is what caught my attention, too. Um, all this is going on, and, and, you know, the earth is shaking loud, louder and louder, the, the smoke, all this stuff. And who speaks first? Moses. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it, interesting. I mean, it, that's Didn't in Moses the order spoke, of, and the voice of, of God answered here. him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Moses spoke, then God answered. Yeah. That's just, very that's interesting. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't even notice that. That's what's fun about doing this, is you notice stuff like that. I mean, you could imagine the kind of saying, well, here we are, God. <laughs> now what? <laughs> it, it's kind of like a herald. Mm -hmm. A herald, somebody that it's, announce, it's yep. announcing, okay. Yeah. This is what all this commotion's about. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, and the, the, the other thing I can't help, the, one of the conclusions I can't help but draw is that this sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. I think that was God's voice. That's what I think. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you notice on your picture up there that the mountaintop is black. Yeah. And noteworthy that people that have gone up there recognize that those stones are only black on the outside. They're not. They're not black clear from, through. Yep. It wasn't like a volcano. It yep. was came down. Yep. Yep. 
That's a high likelihood, I think, that that's, that's the place. Any other thoughts about that? Okay, so that's the action. So now let's go back into chapter 19 and start at verse 20. And, and we'll spend the rest of the evening here. So let me read a little bit, and then I'll stop and we'll go on to the Ten Commandments. Starting in verse 20 of chapter 19, Yahweh descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and Yahweh said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see Yahweh, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach Yahweh must consecrate themselves, or Yahweh will break out against them. Now, I think God probably knew that they weren't really down there trying to break through, right? They're down there. If, if, if they're not running the other direction, their face is on the ground. They're not going any closer to that mountain than they are right now. Moses said to Yahweh, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And then the Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to Yahweh or he will break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. And then we have chapter 20, which is, And God spoke all these words. Now I think, again, it fits that those words are that trumpet blast. But maybe not. What are your thoughts? Here, where we are. Marvin has something. Trumpets could be in heaven and it could be angels. It could be. It could be. And it could just because, be trumpet blast. Because he, 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 it's defined as his words when he's talking. Mm -hmm. So I think it's angels okay. in heaven. Okay. Well. Joe? Wait. Wait. <laughs> I think this, too, what you're just saying, I, I can uh, think of the, the Garden of Eden that God put uh, angels there with the sword to uh, keep uh, Bar the Adam entrance. and Eve from the tree yeah. of life. Yeah, yeah. And also... Um, after uh, Yeshua rose from the dead and Mary and them would come there and he told them not to touch him because mm -hmm. of that. So mm -hmm. uh, the ramification, I think, is that he's holy and like you said earlier, he cannot tolerate sin. Mm -hmm. and so that's why it, was, it wasn't so much a protection against God, but it was protection against the people for their safety. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that it was actually words he spoke because he said from Genesis on, his word, um, he spoke things into existence and mm -hmm. he tells us if we call on him, he will answer. Good point. I mean, this whole thing, I'm still working this out in my head. The, the how can I put this, the... The suitability or lack thereof of language in terms of communication. You know what I mean? It seems that that's all we, do, well, all we have. But there's, I'm convinced that God's communicating in much more ways than just words. Yeah. Yeah, to that effect. Um, and the King James just says that the people will not break through. Mm -hmm. 
which seems like, well, that's not what they're doing. They're yeah. running away, and they're not, they're breaking away, not yeah. going. Anyway, the Hebrew word as it's used here is yehersu, but the, the root is harass. Uh, harass. They're ah. almost like that. H-A-R-A-C is kind of how it's, or S is kind of how it's. Okay, in other just, words, they're not, uh, they don't, I, I'll use well, the word. breakthrough. They won't or, come over and start bugging me. <laughs> That's the, <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, if you wanted to get really science fiction-y about this, you know, this is, this is God in his four-dimensional space, right? And we, we, can't get, we can't go there because we live in three-dimensional space. So anyway, we could make a science fiction movie out of that. So let's, uh, let's look at the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So Alfonso, you want to read some more or does somebody else want to read? You don't want to. I will. We're on chapter 20, <laughs> verse 1. The whole chapter? Well, yeah, well, uh, we're going to go back and look at each of them separately. But if you want to read the whole chapter at once, then we can come back and look at each one. Okay. Let's do that. Needlehim spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahuwah, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the house of slavery. You have no other mighty ones against my face. You do not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of that which is in the heavens above or which is in the earth beneath or which is in the waters under the earth. You do not, you do not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, Yahuwah, your Elohim, am a jealous El, visiting the crookedness of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving commitment to thousands, to those who love me and guard my commands. You do not bring the name of Yahuwah, your Elohim, to naught, for Yahuwah does not leave the one unpunished who brings his name to naught. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart. Six days you labor and shall do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahuwah, your Elohim. You do not do any work you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days Yahuwah made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore Yahuwah blessed the, the Sabbath day and set it apart. Respect your father and your mother, so that your days are prolonged upon the soil which Yahuwah your Elohim is giving you. You do not murder, you do not commit adultery, you do not steal, you do not bear false witness against your neighbor. You do not covet your neighbor's house, you do not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, or whatever belongs to your neighbor. Okay, that, that's good, because that's where we were a minute ago, if that's all right. Okay, so... Obviously, this is the cornerstone of the Torah. This is, this is the thing everybody talks about, the Ten Commandments. That's the law, all right? Well, we're going to find out that it's, on the one hand, it's just a piece, and on the other hand, it's much more. Yeah. I think this takes on the whole uh, shebang, the mm -hmm. social, the moral, uh, everything. It's uh, just the ten thing, but it covers Everything that's in the world, yep. as far as uh, yep. what God uh, would. I agree with that. Yeah. 
Alfonso's got something. Oh, yeah, I got something. <laughs> He's got something. So what this is saying to me, the first five, the first five uh, laws of the Torah is to love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul. And then the rest of them is to love your neighbors as yourself. You know, I'm glad you did that because I was going to lead to that, but it was going to take me a lot longer. So, but that's exactly right. The first five have to do with your relationship with God, and the last five have to do with your relationship with your fellow man. And you know where you got that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, from, from Matthew. I wrote it down here somewhere. Um, Is it the first four, though? Well, it's where the guy comes to Yeshua and says, what is the greatest law? And uh, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, the whole of the Torah hangs on these two commandments. Wait wait a minute. Uh, I thought the Torah was done away with. Yeah. (laughs) You you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. So... And if there's one thing that Yeshua definitely did not do, it was abolish the Torah. Uh, um, so let's talk about how these first five deal with that. Now, I've had... Is it first four? No, well, let's talk about it because uh, I've had discussions with people. Oh. <clears throat> Some people really get really head up about the fact that, well... I mean, I mean the first four commandments. Let's talk about it. We're going to get... Oh, okay. Yeah. The... The, the first commandment I've always thought was, you shall have no other gods before me. But they say, no, 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 that's not the first one. The first one is, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I have trouble with that because I don't really see that as a commandment. But this is me personally. If you find that as the first commandment, okay. Then somewhere along the line, we're going to have to shift our counting. Um, how about this? How about I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the country of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That, to me, could be the first commandment. It's basically, it's basically talking about recognizing who he is and that there is no one greater. That's, that's the way I would interpret that. What would you say? Joe has something? I have to agree with you. Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) It's to me, it's like God is reminding them, you know, uh, look, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt, and you shall have no other gods other than me. Yeah. So I think they they tie together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that an enacting clause, though, at the beginning, or an enabling clause? Enabling? What do you mean? So he's stating why he has the authority. Yes, that's fine. That's fine. And that's why I would not consider a commandment. But whatever. You know, like I say, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a big deal. The, 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 well, that's okay. Yes? I think it's interesting here, too, that uh, uh, when Jethro was talking back in the, uh, 18, chapter 18, he says he is greater than all the other gods. Yes. We're here. He says, I'm it. There is no other no other. Don't have any other. Yeah. Well, this, so now this. That, and I think that's the difference, you know, that he identifies himself by name. Yes. And also as being a possession of the people here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
These are, as John would say, these are the terms of the contract. This is the ketubah. So, can I read that Matthew? Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. It's Matthew 22nd chapter, uh, say 36 through 40. Or, okay, let me go to 30, the 34th verse. But the Pharisees, having heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, were gathered together. And one of them, one learned in Torah, questioning, trying him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest command in the Torah? And Yeshua said to him, You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind. This is the first and great command, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm, that sounds familiar, what we say every uh, Shabbat. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the Torah and the Nebiim. Yes. Yes. Hmm. You know, I should point out, you know where those two, those two uh, commandments are? I mean, they're, they're right there in Matthew, but I mean, they're, they're found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Yeah, it's one we read every Shabbat. And do you know what the one just before that is? Shema. Yeah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, Lord is one. Yep. This uh, one that we were just talking about, you shall have no other gods uh, other than me. God said uh, later in this word, I am a, I'm a jealous God. Yes. You know, you, know, you can't... Uh, Oh, yeah, I'm it. Yeah, there's yeah, you no know, other. now that's, that's a good point because it says, uh, there's a lot of, lot of controversy, I shouldn't, well, differences. Mine says, you shall have no other God before me. I heard one that said, you shall have no other God beside me. Yours said something interesting, Alfonso. What's your say in verse 2 there? In, in verse 3, yeah. No, yeah, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall, uh, you have no other mighty ones against my face. Against my face. All right. All of that basically implies, I mean, even if you were to uh, grant the existence of other gods, this one's superior, right? Without doubt. But I mean, I could also take it as there aren't any other gods other than him. Do you have something, Mike? John does. If you, okay. John's going to clear it all up. <laughs> Well, just to talk about the other ones, I, I, I kind of look at it as a preamble almost. The, the, okay. You know, he, like was said earlier, he's setting, this, setting it's, the stage. Of the, it's, yeah. Yeah, enabling clause, I think. Is what, yeah. I'm still fascinated by this uh, third or fourth generation. Yeah, yeah. So let's back up. In the previous chapter in verse 5. Okay. It says, obey my, co my covenant. Keep okay. my covenant. Yep, keep my covenant. If I look in Esword, the next time that word going backwards shows up is with Jacob. Okay. So here's my thinking. Okay. Back to the three and five, or the three and four. Well, first of all, this is kind of an important chapter. I mean, this is the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And he says, you know, eh, three. I will curse the children. The three, maybe four. Depends on how I, you know, what side of the bed I wake up on. <laughs> yeah. It to me, it's begging you to look deeper and see what it's saying. I've said this before, but yep. the guy who he's talking to, Moses. If you go back and trace his generations, there's one that goes three and one that goes four back. He's the third and the fourth generation from Levi. Levi being the first generation. Yep. After Jacob. Yep. Which 
The last time the covenant was used was referring to Jacob. Okay, that's a very so, good point. There's the covenant with Abraham. I technically know it's the first time it's used, but yep. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Joseph, not Levi, not Judah, not any of those other guys. No one after that until you get right here to, to the sons of Israel. He being the representative of all of them is kind of how you would look at it. Yeah. And, and the covenant is used again. That's a good point. So if that's true then that implies that Joseph committed a sin that, got cur that, that, that was played out on the third and the fourth generation, from, starting from his 12 sons, Levi being the, the father Jacob. of... Jacob committed a sin that right. was played out. What yep. did I say? You said Joseph, but I know what you meant. Yeah, yep. Jacob. So, I, then that could be. I don't I know. I just, because I think it's a hint. He's t it's telling you to, to me in any way, yeah. it's, it's kind of telling you to go back. Now, I think the hint, the, the sin was how he dealt with Esau by not giving him due process of the law. He did all kinds of terrible things. He, he actually used his name when he was, when he was claiming to be Esau. Mm -hmm. So do you think this is, this is still the punishment that Jacob deserved because of the way he... Uh, right, it didn't, it didn't go he, on him. It, yeah. it's not, you know, it, it says to the sons, not to the father who sinned. It goes to the, it's, the punishment is on the sons. Yeah. Well, John, I can, you know, that, that makes sense. So, what was I going to say? I'll have to noodle about that a while. So, the, the, what this is saying here is that curse is done. Yep. If you look at it there, I know I know in the future you can say this means, you know, my parents were, yeah. did terrible things, and it goes back three or four generations, fine. That's one way of looking at it. But if you look at it from this point, from going back in history, he's declaring, I'm suggesting he's declaring that that, Curse is done. Yes, well, it's it's played out. It's yes, it's. Uh, and so what he's saying is, is the 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 punishment for Jacob's sin is now done, and Moses is now the recipient of the covenant that I right. made with Abraham and Isaac. And he's literally both the third generation and, and the, fourth the fourth generation, generation because it has uh, to, yeah, it has to do with the fact Amram that Amram was his wife and his aunt. Yes. Was no, Jacob, no, Jacobed's no, Jacobed. wife and aunt yeah, at the Jacobed same time? Jacobed was his wife and his aunt. Amram's wife and aunt. Okay. I was wondering if, did he make a covenant with Ephraim and Manasseh or no? God did not. No, okay, just a blessing. Yeah, God did not. Just a blessing. Just a blessing. Got one over here. Did you have something, Marvin? Okay. Marvin was first, really. I mean, Really? We could go back and the game clock would show you. I'm, I'm going to move around a little bit on you, but okay. I'm going to make it real short. You got the same thing happening to David and his, and his sons. Okay. Let's go. Hmm, that's worth looking into. You guys, I tell you, challenging. Always challenging. If we can go back to, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay. It's, uh, we agree that... Uh, when God said, uh, I'm the one that brought you out of uh, Egypt, which was full of false gods. Yep. And then uh, it's a progression. The uh, way the scriptures has, uh, I am Hashem, your God, who has taken you out of the land of Egypt. You shall not recognize the gods, small, uh, small g, yeah. uh, is plural, of others in my presence. You shall not make yourself a crave image. Okay, that's the next one. Yes, nor any likeness 
of that which is in the heavens mm -hmm. above or on the earth below uh, the waters beneath uh, in you know yeah, heavens yeah. earth and water yeah that's okay so he is addressing idolatry at this point yes because uh, the Israel had a tendency of going back and worshiping false gods because uh, when they were in Egypt, some of that had to rub off on them. Well, sure. And so, but well, anyway, ask the Catholics; some of it is rubbed off on them too. And I, I, th I think, I think in the logical sequence where God is uh, establishing uh, that He is the permanent one, and uh, not all these other gods. Well, I agree with that. You're exactly right. I had to rub the Catholic off of me. <laughs> I see these first three verses combined in one with an unspoken command. It's so obvious who I am. It leaves you only to believe in me. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And he goes on explaining after that, and part of the way you prove you believe in me is not to make any other graven images, yeah. etc. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're yeah, we'll come back to this one whenever we get to the golden calf thing. Oh, and there's a another verse that's I'm going back to the other the love the Lord your uh, Yahweh your Elohim. It's in Luke ten twenty seven. That's another one. And he answering said, "You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart." with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So that's Luke 10, 27. Okay. Margaret, did you have something? Up, oh, Marvin first. You guys are rare form tonight. On number four, what are they really, what is that, what are they really saying there? Because it says, a carved a carve image or likeness of anything. I mean, I understand we're not supposed to make anything gods other than God mm -hmm. or worship anything other than him. But, boy, that's an awful, that's a really open-ended statement there. Yep. Because that brings a lot of things, makes you question. I mean, things like it's on the walls here in the sanctuary. Well, I, the, I mean, what did it say? It says a likeness of anything. Well, Yes and no, and the, the, the thing is, is an idol is something that is used to represent a god, okay? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, pictures on the wall, this is my opinion, don't necessarily represent God. Now, you could argue that one of these photographs of, you know, the surfer dude Jesus or something like that, one of those nice, that might be, you could argue that that's something you shouldn't have, um, Yeah, yeah, like I say, yeah, you could argue that. But I don't think it's like a picture of a fish, although the god Dagon was a big fish that they carved statues out of, but they worshipped it. You know, I, I give you this. I mean, it's, not real, it's not crystal clear to me either. But the point I think is, is God expects us, and he says this in the New Testament, to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's offensive to him to try to make some physical image and say, this is God. This is what he looks like because we, don't, we can't know, you know. So I, I, that's where I take it. Margaret? 
Yeah, I'm going back to three. Okay. Thou shalt have no Elohim before me. And I like uh, Alfonso's trans, uh, translation, against my face. Going back to the Hebrew, it says, al panaya, um, which means it's kind of like I'm picturing, I'm picturing baseball and the umpire and the coach goes out there and they get in each other's face. <laughs> and it's like, I think that's what it is. Somebody that gets in your face and says, I'm the one that's right. Yeah. I have the authority. And usually the empire has the authority. And yeah. so Yahweh would be like the empire. He has the authority. And so usually the player You're or out. the coach, yeah, and yeah. they're out. And yeah. it's like there's no discussion. Don't even come before my face. Yeah. Just forget it, you know. Just follow the rules. Okay. Um, yeah. I think this before your face, too. Um, there's The temple had pomegranates. Mm -hmm. It had... Um, did it have lions? It mm -hmm. had uh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was there was objects that were made, but they were not in Yahweh's face or going against him, saying, "Okay, worship me." Yeah. Um, and I think the representations that we have here, um, just a picture. It's, it's not like we're bowing down to the tree over there, or Man. you know, bowing down to this stuff. Yeah. We, you know, I'm, I, I enjoy this. We have a good time doing this. Yeah. Well, verse 4 follows verse 1, 2, and 3, mm -hmm. talking about who he is and that he is worth worshiping. So when 4 comes along and tells us not to make a graven image, to me it is saying don't make any idols. And one of the definitions I like for an idol is anything that you look to for your saving power. That can be money, prestige, lots sure. of other things too. Don't look to it for saving power. So any of these things that you make as an image implies for worship because it's followed by verse 1, 2, and 3 first. Yeah, I'll buy that. goes a little bit more because I think we have a lot of things that come between us and, and him mm -hmm. because those things that we don't even want to research or look into because we believe that's the way he is or that's what he thinks those are things that are raised up against knowledge of him. Oh, that's a fair him. point. Yep. And there are a lot of them. I think we have a lot because we're, we're faced with a lot of these pagan things here in our own culture. Yeah, yeah. And then we don't even recognize. Yep. Christmas trees. <laughs> you, know, you know what's scary is some people they'll make like shrines yeah you know in their house and just kind of creepy you know <laughs> well it but seems that, like that's a pretty like, obvious uh, example of this right well I, here's another example of idols that we shouldn't do sorry boys and girls but your sports heroes when people go into school talking about what was your idol, they name these football players or these baseball players, and then these stadiums are their temples. Oh, golly, yeah. And then they got the names plastered all in these shirts and their face all over. So those are idols too. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, if you have a sports figure idol, you need to cut it out because you're putting it against Elohim's face. Don't do it. <laughs> Mark. 
I'm embarrassed. I spoke too soon. If you look at five, uh -huh. if you look at five, it says, you shall not, not bow down to them. He's okay. talking about the images. Yeah. Okay. I agree with Alfonso. If anybody's ever gone to a football game and, I don't know, it seems like, seems like guys, well, and women too, they get really, really into the game. And a lot of times you're just sitting there. I used to go to a football game with my ex-husband and everybody would be standing up and I'm sitting there and it's like, and after a while, if there's a touchdown or something, you get up and you're cheering too. And you're waving yeah. your hands, lifting yeah. your hands up in the air. Waving and shouting and yelling and uh, <laughs> rooting for the for the team, but when I drive over on the on the west side, and you see the big stadium, you see it from afar, and you see the droves going there, the droves of people going there on on a crowded game day. It is like a temple of worship. Yeah, that. <laughs> It is kind of scary. Because you can see it. You can see it from a distance, and you see these droves of people just, just going there. So um, nothing against football or basketball or anything like that. <laughs> well, kind of on that uh, thought, too, people will always, like in basketball, they argue is uh, whether Michael Jordan or LeBron James is the GOAT, you know, which is greatest of all time. But Yehoshua is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. These, these are just basketball players who happen to be really good at what they do. Yeah. Well, you know, as long you know... They're, not, they're great basketball players, but they're not necessarily great people. Well, you that's know, for you sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the and, way and, I always kind of did that in my own mind, and maybe this is just rationalization, but, you know, uh, they're kind of like separate arenas. It, what really is the most important thing to you? If it's, if it's football and football games, there's something really wrong, you know? But if it's God, regardless of whether or not you watch a football game, I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I hate to come down too hard on that because some people could get some honest enjoyment out of it, I think. So my husband got tickets to a NASCAR event. Uh -huh. So it was our first one to go to, right? <laughs> so it was kind of like, oh, well, I guess, you know, to build the relationship, even with my husband. Sure. Do something. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, well, I'll go. And then he had some extras, so he invited some of our friends from where we lived before here mm -hmm. in Arizona. And so, um, you know, we all went together. And we hadn't seen them. And one of them, he's 17. And we had the best conversation to bring him closer, right, to Yahuwah. Mm -hmm. And the dad and everything. And, and, and I could recognize that, but it was neat because the dad, and they're Catholic, he recognized because he wasn't really into it either. None of us were really, like, into it. We were just there. Yeah. And, um, you know, but the, the thing is, is that that, I mean, I, it really transitioned a lot. Mm -hmm. We got into some very deep discussions. So the thing is, is that, you know, we would not have had that opportunity had this event yeah. not existed. But the thing is, is who are we honoring? And who, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, that's. So, it's a question of priorities. So even if there's droves of people, like my my kids are in baseball, right? Yeah. So, you know, but the the things that that who is doing in their yeah. you know in their lives is just phenomenal. Even though, yeah, there's so much wrong with it. Yeah, right? you, yeah, I hear you. This is a great place to be done. 
<laughs> Go ahead. So again, this is just to say that I'm not downing the sports arena. No. But You're, some the thing, people. The, the thing is, you can have your favorite player. There's a such thing as a, a, a favorite player or an idol. That's my idol. So. Yes. And another thing that I've noticed, I, I've run into a couple of Christians in the Sunday churches that get really upset if you're talking about what this player did or didn't do. They're defending this player. I'm like, so do you still have that same motivation when somebody's talking about Yeshua HaMashiach? Yeah. Is yeah, your yeah. motivation there yeah. or is it for That's your... That, that's a good catch. I think another good catch is somebody that knows the name of every single player on all the teams, and you ask him, you know, can he find uh, the, the book of Psalms in the Bible? And he goes, what? Where? You know, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is good. You guys have been great. It's time for us to be done. I like to make sure we start on time and end on time, and I'm two minutes late. So uh, let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this group of people that came out to, dis to discuss your Torah. Thank you for opening it up. Thank you for showing us just a few things more about you and about, uh, uh, about how much you love us and how you'd like us to live our lives. Help us to think on these things. And when we come back next week, help us to just uh, continue this discussion and to work through our, uh, your list of Ten Commandments, the terms of the marriage contract between your people and you. Father God, I just uh, love you for, for your Torah. Keep us safe until we meet again in, in uh, Shabbat. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week.